Sometimes we don't expect much when we show up at church, especially in August. Out of summer, it's kind of dragging on or going by fast, and you're just kind of minding your own business and show up at church. You may be surprised what God wants to do today through His Word, by His Spirit. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, I just praise you for your grace that we were able to just wake up and show up. Even we show up with low expectations, but to ask you below them away. Lord, I realize there's a lot of stuff going on in our lives, a lot of pain. and I just want to stop and pray for uh, Rebecca Rose, a member of our church for many years before she moved to California. A tumor in the brain, almost recently put into hospice, and yet there's a turn. And we just ask that um, you would heal her. Put people around her to encourage her. There's so many of us, Lord, we're just passing through. We're here, we're gone, and even the ones that are here, a lot of them are suffering in a variety of ways. Even if we look good, maybe something going on, may you have mercy on us here. Heal our bodies, heal our relationships. May we repent for hiding sin. May we mature in you this morning. And Lord, just let us know we don't have to get fixed before we hear from your word. Sometimes we just need to show up and be open. And I just ask that you would speak now by the power of your spirit, as you always do when we get into your word. In Christ's name, amen. I'm wondering if you ever go through seasons of your life where there doesn't seem to be any clear guidance from God. It's not that God is absent in your life, and obviously God is always speaking through his word, and he's always speaking by his spirit. But there are seasons where one day blends into another day. One month is no different from the month before. And it's during times like this where you're not quite sure what God might have of you or wants you to do. You're, you're just making decisions. You have to. And you're just hoping some of them are right and some of them might not be so right. And, and I would say that times like this are not necessarily confusing as much as they are foggy. And I've been at that foggy phase of life, I would say personally, over the last couple years. It seemed like I was going through a season of several years in a row where God was just really clear on what he wanted me to do. And I I journeyed with some of you here this morning uh, over those years. I remember back in 2008, through a variety of circumstances, it seemed like God was really leading us to adopt our little girl from Ethiopia. And we were able to finalize, get moving on that adoption around 2010, brought her home in 2011. It's like, wow, God, you're really kind of just guiding in very explicit ways. It seems clear. And just a few months after having her home with us, we felt the Lord leading us and guiding us to, to pursue uh, foster care in the state of Illinois. And we received our little boy, uh, Darion, a few months later. And he's been with us for several years now. And just felt like God was really guiding, very clear. In 2012, by God's grace, I was able to finish a degree that I felt like the Lord called me uh, to work on. Uh, just That was just very clear. 
And even in our church, the, the, we went through a season where God was just leading us and guiding us to, to plant. Within four years, we planted three churches, one up at St. Paul. We planted one in Rogers Park. We, we planted one in Gainesville. And, and it just seemed like, wow, this is God just giving us a lot of guidance and direction. I, I feel it personally. I, I, I feel it in the church. But since then, probably about the last couple of years in my life, it's been a little foggy. I'm not quite sure what's next. And I, and I don't sense any real guidance in any particular direction. And I'm, I'm praying and I'm hoping I'm making the right decisions. Maybe I'm not. It's just foggy. And I know some of you may be there right now. And there was a lot of leading and guidance and Things were happening, and now, not, not so much. It's not so clear. And you still have decisions to make, but you're not quite sure you're making the right ones. Maybe you are. And so I, I know that some of you are like that right now, like me. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this encouraging word, and I believe it's so encouraging. I'm going to say it several times so you hopefully won't forget it. And it goes something like this. God providentially guides his people even when the way is unclear. Now, if you're new to church, uh, that's a churchy word, providentially. I hope you're okay with that. All we mean is that God's in control. He's, he's moving situations and circumstances and scenarios, and he's, 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 where he's in control of everything. And he's guiding his people even when the way of his people doesn't seem clear. And that's what we're going to look at this morning as we turn back to 1 Samuel. Yes, we've been in 1 Samuel for a full year, and I, I just want to give you a bonus this morning for showing up in August. We're going to cover two whole chapters. Big bonus for you. This show. I'm sure you're excited. Um, but in these two chapters we're going to look at, um, God's not there. God, in these two chapters, God appears to be absent like, you're like, well, how can we read the Bible and God's not there? What are, what are we supposed to do with that? We're going we're gonna to look at chapter 27. We're going to skip most of 28 until next week. Then we're going to look at chapter 29. And God is not even mentioned once except on the lips of a pagan king in passing. But on a whole, in these two chapters, there's no reference to God or of his guiding ways. Does that remind you of any book in the Bible where God just kind of doesn't seem to be mentioned at all? Anybody ring a bell there? Book of Esther? You heard of that book? The book of Esther uh, where God's name is not mentioned, yet if you read the book of Esther, you kind of think, wow, God seems to be all over the place here, <laughs> even though he's not mentioned, and his providential guiding. And, and, and I think we should conclude the same thing here, that God is all over these two chapters with his providential guidance. So let's just go ahead and jump in, not mess around. Go start in verse 20, uh, chapter 27, verse 1. Let's go. Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me and any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over, he and the 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Moak, king of Gath. 
And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahanom of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. And we just jumped in, didn't we? And some of you are like, I have no idea what's going on in 1 Samuel. Well, basically the last several chapters have been a repeat. Saul's trying to kill David. That's basically what's been going on. And uh, David keeps eluding him. And so this time around, he, f- he flees to Achish. Now, he's been there before. Remember last time he was there, he pretended to be a little crazy, and so he left. But this time, time around, Achish, the king, seems more welcoming as he wants to be friends with Saul's enemy, even if David is an Israelite. Now, the question we want to kind of get at here is this decision that David made on his own to flee to Gath, King Achish, Samuel didn't guide him. He's had Samuel guidance in the past, right? Remember the, uh, remember the, uh, the priest Samuel has guided him. He's not had the guidance of the Ummim and Thummim, you know, the, the ephod, not guiding him. Uh, Jonathan's not advising David. We have David making a decision to leave Israel and go to King Achish at Gath. And, and the question is, uh, is this a good decision? Just, just makes a decision. Is, is, is this good? If you read commentaries on this, which you probably won't ever read, uh, let me just tell it for you. Scholars are completely divided. Like, uh, just right down the middle. You got half of them think uh, this, uh, in the absence of God's clear guidance, David makes a wise and strategic move by fleeing from Saul and headed to Gath. But if you read another set of commentators, they'll say, no, 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 no. In the absence of God's guidance, David should have still trusted the Lord and stayed within the boundaries of Israel rather than heading off to a pagan land. So the scholars are divided whether or not this is a good decision. The text simply does not tell us. Now, I don't know if you saw on the news this past week that this, this city of Gath that he f- fled to was actually recently discovered, dug up, unearthed. They found it. And they're digging it, and they're going to find stuff. And I, and I just wonder, as they dig more and more, and they, they bring Gath to the surface, do you think they're going to find clues of, of whether David was doing the right thing? No. <laughs> we just don't know. Is this the right decision? I don't know. You can dig all you want. I'm not going to, I don't know. The text, I, we don't know if it's the right decision. And, and, it's, and it's that kind of thing that, that tends to happen sometimes in our life, and we just don't know if we're making the right decisions. we got to make them, but we're not sure. Uh, let's say you're a senior and you really don't like your life. You don't like your major. Senior year, you switch your major to something totally different. You're making the change. Is that a good idea? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe it's a terrible idea. I don't know. For, for those of you who, who have kids and they, they start to get older and older and they, they need maybe some financial assistance in their 20s and 30s and 40s and they come to you for financial assistance and should you give them money as an act of compassion or are, are you enabling them to live a life of foolishness? What, what's the right call? I, I don't know. My wife and I were talking to a, a couple this past spring who had a foster child living with them for quite some time, and they had the opportunity to adopt this child. The woman wanted to do it. The guy said, no, I don't want to do it. 
What's the right decision? I don't know. They're divided. I don't, I don't know what the best decision is. And, and there are situations in life where these, these come around and you're like, what's the right way to go? God, tell me. Come on. Tell me. God, it's church's word. You're asking people. When it comes down to it, you're not quite sure. You just don't know. Things seem a little foggy here. I don't know. This is what I'm going to keep encouraging you when you don't quite know what you're supposed to do, that God providentially guides his people even when the way is unclear. Even if you don't know the right decision, I think that God is still going to control of your decisions whether you go either way. In fact, I want to I put this quote up for you, and I, I've enjoyed this. Uh, God writes straight in crooked lines. You can take that so many different ways, but the way I take it is a lot of the things that I'm facing in life, they seem kind of crooked. <laughs> I don't know what the best move is. And do you think that if you make the wrong decision, that, oh boy, the rest of your life's going to be one crooked mess? Or can God, in the midst of my decisions where I'm not quite clear, can God actually take my crookedness and make straight out of it? Yeah, that's his providential control. That's what's going on. It may feel crooked, but God makes it straight. Let's watch the life of David unfold. This is amazing. Look at verse 5. So he's in a pagan land. Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. So he makes this request not to live in the royal city because he wants to operate more covertly within Philistine territory. So it's passed off as humility. Now, is this a good decision? Is it a good decision for him to stay in the land of the Philistines? Scholars, once again, are divided. I don't want to get into that argument, but I want you to know something. Look at verse 7 again. And the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Are you kidding me? The newly anointed king of Israel, David. Remember the David guy? Goliath? Remember that guy? He's living in pagan territory. And he's, he's living there for a year and four months. Year and four months without the guidance of the ephod, without Samuel advising him, without Jonathan. A year and four months of what appears to be fogginess. How long has your fogginess lasted? At, at my house, we have this, this creature. Uh, it's, uh, her, her name is, I assume it's a girl. Her name is Dozy, and she's a hamster. And my 11-year-old daughter has this hamster. And this, this, this hamster will run on this wheel. I'm sure there's a reason for this, but they run on this wheel hours if, if, like, when we don't exercise for a while, she makes us feel guilty. It's like, oh, she go exercise. She's always running on her wheel. But you know what? <laughs> she ain't going nowhere. She's going, but she's going nowhere. And I know that we can hit some of those phases. We're like, I'm moving, but I'm not moving. 
I'm plodding along in life and I'm making decisions, but I don't seem to be going anywhere. Anointed king of Israel, pagan land. Not just overnight. He was there for a year and four months. Was that a good decision? I don't know. But some scholars think that the next makes David really cross the line into unethical territory. Look at verse 8. Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Gisharites, the Gerizites, and the Amalekites, for these were the inhabitants of the land from of old as far as Shur to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the garments, and come back to Achish. When Achish asked, where have you made a raid today? David would say, he's lying, against the Negev of Judah, or against the Negev of the Jeremites, or against the Negev of the Kenites. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking, lest they should tell about us and say, so David has done. Such was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. And Achish trusted David, thinking he has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he should always be my servant. So he goes out on these killing raids, and he brings back the spoils to Achish, and he tricks Achish into thinking that he's going out and sometimes attacking even his own people. But David is not killing the Israelites, but he's killing the Gersherites, the Gerizites, the Amalekites. These are the, the ancient enemies of Israel. Now get this. In the past, God authorized war against these, these pagan people for the, often what they've done to the Israelites. So they were authorized. He could go out and the armies of Israel could just annihilate them. But the issue is, scholars are once again divided. Has David been given that order? Is it a long-standing order that he can do this for the rest of his days? Or is this David just taking out vengeance, trying to cover himself to create a cover story so he could stay within the Philistines' territory? So once again, the scholars are Divided. Is David doing the right thing? I'm going to say it again because I have not said it enough, that God providentially guides his people even when the way is unclear. Now, that being said, I want to make sure the point is not misunderstood because some of you may be misunderstanding what I'm saying so far. All right, so make sure you listen to this. This is really good. Even when times that God's guidance is less clear you should always still be reading the Bible. You should always still be praying. You should still be showing up to church and being in fellowship with other believers. And you should still be obeying the commands of God. God will lead you. God will guide you through the normal means of grace. How does God lead his people? He guides. He leads through his word. He leads through prayer. He leads when I hang out with you and you help me. He leads as I'm obeying the commands of God. So God normally leads people through his word, by his spirit, through his people. It's not normally the dreams in the middle of the night or the grand visions, which I've had none of that. And yet I've experienced God's guiding through these normal means of grace. All right, get this. If you're not reading the Bible right now, and you're not praying right now, and you're not in fellowship with other believers right now, 
And I, I just want to say, please don't claim that things are foggy. I've talked to people who've made this claim, stay with me, of something called the dark night of the soul. The dark night of the soul, everything's so foggy. For two years, they say, I didn't read my Bible. For two years, I didn't pray. For two years, I didn't fellowship with you. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not fogginess. That's called disobedience. So don't misunderstand me here this morning and claiming fogginess if it's actually disobedience. What we're talking about is you are getting in the Word, you are praying, you are meeting with other people, you are attempting by God's grace to obey, but there are a lot of things that just aren't clear. We're talking about fogginess, not disobedience. Now that we've cleared that up, let's go to chapter 28 and look at a couple of verses. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, Understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, Very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. David is now trapped between the proverbial rock and a hard place. The Philistines, make sure you get this, are going out to war against the Israelites. Achish says, David, are you and your men ready to go? David says, we're ready to roll. They are about to join the Philistines and go out to war against, yeah, the Israelites. Are, 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 does that not disturb you? The newly anointed king is about to join the enemy to fight against the Israelites. And if he doesn't go to war with the Philistines, then it's totally going to blow his cover and they're going to question his allegiance. But if he goes to the war against the Israelites... Now, how are the Israelites ever going to accept him being their king once David has killed many of them? Do you, do you see the problem and the conflict that he has? For David, can you imagine? There is no good decisions. I mean, what does he do? Uh, do I go with them? Do I not go with them? There's no good decision. It's a little foggy. And you think, well, that's, that's just not David. Because you, you've, you've had situations like that at work or your family or friends. You're like, there is no good decision here. Whatever... I do just doesn't feel like it's the right decision. I just don't know what to do. That's the situation that David is in. Now, we're going to skip the rest of chapter 28. We're going to come back to it next week because it has to do with Saul and a witch. So if you're wondering about witches in the Bible, come back next week. We'll talk about that. It's kind of weird. But we're going to continue on with the story today. Look at chapter 29, verse 1. Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek. So get this, there are five main cities in Philistia, and each has their own ruler, and they are gathered together to go to war against the Israelites. And the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. As the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish, the commanders of the Philistines said, What? are these Hebrews doing here? I'm sure they had some choice words. That's a very good question. You're about to go fight against the Israelites. You're like, well, wait, well, what? What are the Hebrews, what are the Israelites doing here before we go and fight against the Israelites? Good question. Look at Achish. And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, 
Oh, it's David. Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years, and since he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him, and the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back, that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is not this David of whom they sing to one another in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands? These leaders have a good point. But go out to battle. David's going to turn in the heat of battle in order to restore favor with Saul. They know David's reputation. They know he is a killer. They don't want him on their side. So Achish gives in, and he sends David away. Verse 6. And Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been honest. And to me it seems right that you should march out and in with me in the campaign, for I have found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you, so go back now and go peaceably, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. He's like, I want you, they don't want you, you got to go back. And then the story finishes up. And David said to Achish, but what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? I I think David's kind of faking him out here, a little false front, because it's likely that in battle he would turn on the Philistines. Verse 9, and Achish answered David, And said, I know that you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, He shall not go up with us to the battle. Now then, rise in the morning with the servants of your Lord who came with you, and start early in the morning, and depart as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. But the Philistines went up to Jezreel. This may seem like boring nothing to you. But this is very significant what has happened to David, the life of Israel, and the people of God. David is delivered through the Philistine commanders. He doesn't have to decide whether he's going to go into battle or not because he's never going to make it there. And I want to make sure you get this point. This upcoming battle between the Philistines and the Israelites, there is one certain person that is very important who dies. You know who it is? Saul is going to be killed in this battle. Do you you see the significance here? So if David is on the side of the Philistines marching out against the Israelites and Saul is killed in that battle, do you think David's ever going to rise to the throne in Israel? No, no, no. But get this. If David marches out with the Philistines... And in the battle, he turns on the Philistines and he starts killing the Philistines. Maybe Saul never gets killed. And David still will not take the throne. But God, through his providential control, removes the decision completely. And David is kept out of the battle and Saul is killed. And the point I'm trying to make with you is is not that God is going to deliver you every time you're boxed in. I'm not saying that God is going to get you out of every jam and keep you from making hard decisions. Perhaps he will. 
Maybe not. I think the point I'm trying to get at again through these two chapters that really don't mention God at all is that God providentially guides his people even when the way is unclear. Even when you're not quite sure what to do, seems like there's a crisis at hand, it could go either way, and either decision you make may be a mess. But God is still providentially in control, and he is writing straight and crooked lines. They are crooked to you, but they're not crooked to God. It may feel like there is no good decision, and it feels like a crooked mess, and whichever way you go is going to be a disaster. What is crooked to you is not crooked to God. This past week, uh, we took some of our staff to the Willow Creek Leadership Summit. It's our third year in a row. I just kind of minding my business watching the speakers speak. But one of the speakers, I've heard of her before, and she was good before, and I just listened to her again. Her name is uh, Brene Brown, and uh, she's a popular speaker on the topic of shame. And I'm listening to her, and I'm like, why am I getting so emotional? Why am I crying listening to a speaker at a leadership conference? What's my problem? Um, and she's just talking about shame. And she said, she said the top reason that women feel shame are body image issues. And the top reason why men feel shame is the appearance of weakness. And I'm like, I don't know what, what she was saying, but it made my soul open up. And I started to see something inside of me. And I, let, me, let me explain When things are going wrong in my family, I tend to internally, sometimes externally, get angry. But when things are going wrong at at the church, I I don't internally and externally get angry. I I, I get fearful. And I know those things about myself, anger and fear. I know they're, they're, they're hanging out with me all the time. But as I was listening to her speak, she said, she said, oh, just those are surface emotions. Those are just, that's just what's on the surface. She said the real emotion is the emotion of shame. And she said your issue is you're feeling shame because you feel weak. And you don't want to feel weak, right? I don't want to feel weak. And I'm dealing with situations in my family. I realize, you know what? I feel weak because I can't fix this problem. There are situations in my family where I am supposed to be the leader. Right, Dad? Supposed to step up and lead, right, husbands? We're supposed to be the leader. And I'm thinking, uh, I don't know what to do. There's no good decision here. And I feel weak. I feel, I feel shame. Like, oh, I'm just such a, a weak leader. I hate that. Because I don't know what decisions to make sometimes. And then when it comes to the church and things sometimes that go dif- difficult at church, <clears throat> I feel like a weak and worthless pastor. There are decisions to make, and I'm not quite sure which way we should go. And so that, I was listening, I was getting emotional during that talk, and I went home, and I was still emotional. I was waking up during the night, feeling emotional. I thought, I thought okay. I'm indecisive at times because I'm feeling weak when I'm not sure what to do. What is the truth, though? God's Word says, okay, when I'm weak, He is strong. God's Word also says that I'm not worthless. I have value in Christ. But, but really what helped me to kind of tie this in what I'm talking about this morning is that God is in my life and he is in your life. And when we feel weak, when we feel crooked, when we feel like things aren't going to turn out the way we want, God is still 
drawing straight. He is still providential and in control. And at my weakness, even feeling ashamed of my weakness at church, feeling ashamed of my weakness in my family, where I'm not sure what decisions that need to be made and it makes me feel worthless, I am told, and I'm telling you, you have worth, you have value. When you're weak, he is strong. When you're not quite sure what to do, if you're going to make the wrong decision, and all the crookedness, God's still drawing straight. And I think we can see this ultimately in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Do you remember that evil men plotted against Jesus, had him arrested, beaten, and eventually killed on the cross? If you're the disciples following Jesus for those years, you feel like everything is crooked, out of order, and over with. From their perspective, things are foggy and disastrous. True, right? When you're reading the disciples, they're running away. They're all freaking out. It's all over with. The world has come crashing down. But what we are told from God's perspective, that when everything looks crooked, we are told from God's perspective that everything's right Right on plan, right? Everything is straight. The book of Acts tells us this. Peter says this to the Jews. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So the crooked part is that human beings killed Jesus. And yet we're told that the straight part is that this was all part of God's plan. And God's plan was to save you. To put his son on the cross to bear his wrath in your place. To put him in the ground. And to raise him three days later so that men and women can repent of their sins. Put their faith in Jesus and be reconciled to God. But if you're reading the Bible during those scenes, if you were the disciples living it out, you would say, oh, whoa, 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 this is really crooked. And yet, from God's perspective, it's part of the plan. It's going straight. And if my God and your God, and that's his plan, from the most significant event on this earth to save you and to save me, do you think that you can trust him with whatever you're going through right now? Do you think that he can still take the crookedness of your life and the decisions that you have to make when things seem really fucked? Do you think that he can't make that straight? Do you think, well, he got the Jesus part, my salvation part right, but this part he's not going to get right because this is way too crooked and I'm going to mess it up even further. The child of God, a daughter, a son of God, will take your decisions even when they don't seem clear and he's going to providentially make it straight. You may not see it in this earth. In heaven, I'm going to go up to you and say, I told you so. And you'll do the same to me. God providentially guides his people even when the way is unclear. He's still guiding and directing you right now for your good, for his glory. Even when it doesn't feel like that. So I guess what I want to encourage you to do is to rest in him, to trust him, Submit all your life to him. And how about this? Let's let God determine the next chapter, the next phase in your life. And I know the decisions you have to make to pull it off to get there, 
Let him determine the outcome. Let him determine the results. And be content with whatever way it goes. You'll make the decision, and whatever happens, happens. Just be content with, with his determination of the next phase of your life. It may look crooked. God's still sovereign and in control, making things straight for his child, for their good, and for his glory. My daughter got back from uh, Israel on uh, this past Sunday, and it's so good to see her again. And while she was there, she came across like this quote of the unashamed. It's called unashamed. I'm not going to share with you this morning, but I thought, wow, that poem from the African pastor impacted me when I was in college. And there tends to be these Christian quotes and sayings that pass from generation to generation that, that can encourage you. And I'm going to share one of those with you here this morning that has is, that is, uh, really encouraged many generations of believers in Jesus. And it comes from several hundred years ago from John Wesley. And I'm going to leave you with this great prayer. Let me put it up for you. He says, I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for thee or laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee brought low for thee. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. And let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. I think that is a prayer resting in the sovereignty of God. Uh, why don't you use me, God, big time? Or if you want to, use me for big time suffering. You can lay me aside. You don't have to use me at all. I'll be full. I'll be empty. Give me a lot. Don't give me nothing. I give my life to you. God, I don't know what's going to happen with these decisions I have to make. I don't know what's going to happen in the next couple of days, couple of months, couple of years. But, Lord, you just decide. You figure it all out as I trust you. You already know the outcomes. It all seems crooked to me, God. You're going to draw straight. I know that for sure. Just rest in his sovereign control and leave the outcomes of him. Let's pray. Lord, I want to ask that there that you administer to a, a particular guy or girl in here. They kind of feel like David in these two chapters where you're not mentioned. Your guidance doesn't seem to be evident. And they are seeking your face. They are seeking your word. And, and they're still confused and foggy about what to do next. Just let them know that you, you love them. You care for them. You're in control. Even when things seem crooked and out of sorts. Let them know you, you really are in their life. You really do care for them. You really do love them. And if you have planned their salvation, ordained them to know you, you have given them your son, Jesus Christ, what in the world are you ever going to withhold from them? Nothing. You withhold no good thing from them. Just encourage them that you are still in control. Got a plan. It's playing out. And help each of us just cling and trust you. Even when we can't see, even when things aren't clear, and we cling to you and your providential guidance for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.